This is the Aussie Animal Show on Triple A Radio. My name's Rob Armstrong. Welcome to the wildlife. Before we go into the interviews, I think it's very important to hear from Dr. Hugh Worth. Unfortunately, Hugh is no longer with us, but from 1972, he was the president of the RSPCA here in Victoria. That is the Royal Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. 43 years he held that position. The interview was done by Peter Highlands. Peter asked Dr. Worth, why is it important to care about animal welfare? Here is Hugh's reply. Well, animals, whatever they are, are certainly not Ottomans. They are what we call sentient creatures, which means they're equipped with the ability to respond to other animals in social groups, but they also respond to the way in which we deal with them. They can feel pain, physical pain, they can certainly feel mental pain, and they can react to the, that pain, whether it's mental or physical, in the, in the way in which we react. So those animals are equipped, as I've said, to respond to us. And therefore, we have a duty of care that where we are dealing with animals, or how we'd like other people to deal with animals, is humane. I'd like you to keep the words of Dr. Hugh Worth in mind as I continue into the first interview tonight. This is with Maria Taylor. Now, Maria is an investigative journalist, author, and former award-winning documentary filmmaker, specialising in analysing environmental conflicts. She's travelled widely in Australia, observing government decision-making and the rural sector. Also editing a national magazine reporting agricultural science. She holds a PhD in science communication, and in the past decade has focused on regional news and wildlife environmental investigations. At the same time, publishing the District Bulletin in southern New South Wales near our national capital. Maria, I'll, I'll start by asking, how in the 21st century are the remnants of colonialism affecting the way we deal with, well, not just wildlife, but the whole environment? Rob, I guess I can start with a, a shameless plug for, for my book uh, called Injustice, Hidden in Plain Sight, Here We Are Still, with our war on Australian nature. And uh, really the answers lie in our, our settler colonial history, which is still with us today, two centuries later, after invasion, the invasion of Australia. And it, it really is the way we have built our nation, our, our new nation. The answers lie there, and the book explores that. So... I can I can go on along that line, but uh, basically that's that is the answer, and we can let's drill down into some of those aspects. Well, the one that's always concerned me is the straight out blatant propaganda used to support the 
commercial killing and exploitation of wildlife in this country. Some of those narratives just don't stand up to any type of examination. When you examine this history, which which I have, I mean, a lot of it really comes down to the to the narratives we tell ourselves, the myths and beliefs we have about ourselves as a nation, as a people, which, by the way, um, somehow supports the uh, the brutality and violence that's inherent in our wildlife management. That we we somehow have accepted that this is normal behaviour in Australia. Maria, that can't be healthy for us as a as a people. Well, no, it, it can't be. But you know, there's a there's a psychological, a sociological study for somebody how you can propagandise a whole nation to believing, you know, on the other hand, Rob, what it is is when you look at um, this as a war, as, I, as I've framed it, a war on, on the Indigenous nature of Australia and a conversion of that to some facsimile of European uh, agriculture and uh, urban development. And so you have to get rid of everything native in order to establish a different kind of life on this continent. Part of that has been the the removal of native species or native animals or or other nations, if you if you like, quite apart from the assault on the first Australians, which have been better documented than the assault on on the the other indigenous inhabitants of Australia. In order to do that over the over the years, uh, or maybe since the beginning, basically what's been waged is a um, a classic propaganda campaign. Right. So what that entails is telling a story of a dominant economic and political narrative of what we must have, what we must do. And that comes along with telling a story to the public where you basically uh, blame the victims that you were about to get rid of, because that sets it up for a lethal, a lethal campaign or the killing campaign that we have seen with our native wildlife. And I guess in in current times, particularly uh, with the kangaroo species, although historically similar treatment was meted out to uh, everything from the koala to the emu to, and we're still doing it to other native species like dingoes, birds, many birds. But in my book, I, I followed through the persecution and exploitation, particularly of, of the macropod marsupials, the kangaroo species. It's such a large industry. And as your the subtitle of your book, Hidden in Plain Sight, I mean, Injustice, that's the big title, but Hidden in Plain Sight, The War on Australian Nature. The industry has operated in plain sight because of these narratives you mentioned, the economic requirement, but also they've very successfully used the propaganda issue of abundance. If they're abundant, we shouldn't worry about them. There's millions of them. They're in plague proportions. So much of that is just not true anymore. Well, that's part of the propaganda narrative, isn't it? Because as long as you say that something's abundant and there's plenty of it and don't worry, you know, we're only taking a small proportion for our for our commercial or our removal goals, nobody's going to worry because there's there's millions, still millions of this animal, let's, let's stick with the kangaroo, out there. And that is actually part of the problem with some of the, um, the debates that go on or some of the pushback because 
as long as people play the numbers game, as long as people argue for this wildlife on the basis of numbers, you know, you're often going to lose because that abundance narrative will always come out on top, you know. Nobody in this country believes that kangaroos are at any threat of extinction, and that's probably still true for the large species, although we've managed to extinguish many of the smaller uh, macropods. And by the way, that's one of the reasons that the large kangaroos are, are so important in our ecosystems, because they're taking the place as native grazers of, of a whole whole range of other animals that uh, are no longer there, thanks to, you know, our settlement of, of Australia. Mm. Look, numbers is no guarantee for survival. At the moment, I was speaking to a wildlife shelter over in Western Australia, and although the euro is still on the commercial hunting list, the state's population is down to under 2,800 animals, and it's still on the commercial hunting list. Yeah. Same for Western greys, I think, in on the east side, that uh, Western greys are really under terrific pressure and they're still being hunted. And, you know, if you expand that that argument, you know, the, the, um, the huge pressures put on populations per se, and particularly in Victoria where you live, now I, I understand for the pet food industry, they're just, just killing every age group, you know, joeys, the whole lot. That's not sustainable. Do you think, by the way, that your readers understand that Australia has the world's largest wildlife slaughter on the planet of terrestrial on land while a slaughter on the planet is conducting that right now? I don't think so. Let's just talk about Australians. As a nation, we abhorred the harvesting of whales by Japan. We protested the Canadian fur seal hunts, yet the same people maybe believe that narrative that, oh, yeah, but kangaroos are different, they're in plague proportions, and we really do need to control them. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Mm. No, it, particularly because the same sort of um, native cultural and, and economic reasons are, are put forward by Australians as, as, say, the Japanese do. For It's their culture to kill whales, you know, that's it's been historical, it's cultural, it, it has meaning to them and... You know, and it's scientific, which is the other flag that we bring up, you know, what we do is scientific. And so we're no different. We're quite hypocritical about this, that we're criticising other nations while we, we again, reiterate that the, the notion that Australia conducts the greatest commercial wildlife slaughter and trade on the planet barring marine marine stories that's but terrestrial it's quite extraordinary that nobody and what's also extraordinary is that it's not just australian citizens who either don't know or don't want to know it's also our other institutions you know our media our politicians um our educational system are fairly resistant taking on this idea or perhaps i mean this is one of the one of the purposes of the book, to finally get this story into the public arena. A term you use, and it struck home to me, is lethal disrespect. Mm. I think that describes uh, what's happening beautifully. I think so too. I mean, I, when, when you actually look at it, what, what, is the, what the problem is, is this lethal or non-lethal, but basically disrespect for for our unique native species, which uh, you know the rest of the world loves, 
you know, the, the rest of the world loves our native animals and Skippy the kangaroo and, and so forth. And yet here in Australia, we tend to, I think the disrespect, of course, justifies or, or supports the lethal treatment. And, and there's no better example than what's happening in, in, in Canberra right now, as you have done several sessions on, you know, the mistreatment of kangaroos in, a, in the national capital. And, and when you look at it dispassionately, this is, this is quite extraordinary that this is considered normal, normal behaviour in the national capital to kill the national emblem. And at the root of that is this settler colonial disrespect for this animal and probably others that's you know in in Canberra it's the case is the kangaroo and unfortunately when residents of the ACT have tried to voice their opposition uh, they've been told by the relevant authorities that oh no we've had adequate public consultation <laughs> <laughs> oh and, and and it's humane too oh good oh, grief yes. Well, this is this is actually an interesting thing, as you as you probably also know. Uh, um, a, a good news story at the moment is that the, in Canberra, the activists and the uh, the kangaroo defenders have put up a really terrific campaign this year of public awareness and and in, and uh, information, and also really taking the fight to the assembly, which is still in in process. But uh, yes, they have uh, satirically. <laughs> pointed out that, uh, you know, the, the, the Minister for the Environment in the ACT, who happens to be a Green, which is a scandal, you know, say things like, look, we have sort of world-beating, we have just the most humane uh, kangaroo slaughter or, you know, wildlife slaughter ever, and we should be proud of that. You go, huh? There's nothing to be uh, proud of when it contains so much violence and brutality towards no. native animals or any no. animal. And the mere fact that they could say something like that really, really is telling, don't you think? I mean, that 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 this kind of violence and brutality against um, the nature of Australia and aspects of it, its wildlife, is just internalised in us as a post-colonial culture. And it really needs to be examined and sort of shown the light of day and, and said, well, is this who we are? Maria's book, Injustice, Hidden in Plain Sight, examines what happened to their globally loved kangaroos, koalas and other Australian indigenous animals under the beliefs and traditions of colonialism. Unfortunately, due to problems with our internet connection, uh, the rest of the interview was pretty much distorted. I do apologise, Maria. But listen, folks, a magnificent read. For more information, go to mariataylor.com.au. Also, if you go through the menu, you'll see a heading called Sharing, and you'll be able to read some excerpts from the book as well as reviews and all the usual good stuff. MariaTaylor.com Continuing the kangaroo issue, speak with Elusa from Animal Liberation 
Victoria, who tonight, in conjunction with this program, is launching a kangaroo campaign. And I do thank Animal Liberation for once again standing up for our native wildlife. Elisa, thank you for your time. Animal Liberation Victoria launching a kangaroo campaign. Can you tell us about that? So thank you so much for having us today, Rob. Animal Liberation Victoria is gravely concerned about the future of Australia's beloved kangaroos. And what we want to do is just raise the awareness of what's actually happening to kangaroos. And we want the public to fully realise and grasp how serious this problem actually is. So Australians probably don't know that what's happening at night time to these kangaroos is the world's largest land-based slaughter of wildlife happening anywhere on the planet. And obviously when you kind of start to look into it, it's really quite shocking what's what's happening to the not just the adult kangaroos but the babies, the joeys as well. There's this bloody bashing and killing of newborn white fluffy fur seals in Canada that grabs the world's attention. But in Australia, this is happening at night. It's happening in the dark and people aren't aware of it. We're not seeing that red splatter like on the baby fur seals. We're not seeing that, but this mass slaughter is maybe doesn't come with that visual, but it's every bit as horrible and cruel. So we're trying to bring an awareness to that. It certainly has become aware to us here in Victoria with the expansion mm. of the killing of kangaroos for the pet food industry. And in fact, right. an interview tonight features a, uh, a member of the public who experienced that killing coming to her back fence. And it is not a pretty picture. Yeah, and that's the thing, like so many members of community have to deal with this, deal with the aftermath of a shootout from kangaroo shooters the night before and they're seeing this and wildlife carers and it's just, it's sickening really what's, what's happening. But also we, what we wanted to do was show a First Nations perspective. Um, so we've been in contact with, and I apologise if I get this the pronunciation wrong, um, Auntie Ro Mudyan Godwin. Beautiful. She's an Indigenous, yeah, got it. Yep. Auntie Rose is an Indigenous educator, protector of wildlife and country. She's a writer and also a knowledge holder. Um, and she's, we're grateful that she's given us permission to use some of her quotes in our campaign. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to read one out for you right now. Certainly, go ahead. Um, so this was taken from the parliamentary inquiry into the health and well-being of kangaroos and other macropods in New South Wales. And this is in 21, 2021. So she said she likened the slaughter of kangaroos as it's a family totem for Auntie Ro. Um, she likens it to having your entire family gunned down every night and your extended family gunned down every night and their bodies dissected, butchered, cut up, sold off and taken overseas and dressed up as a commodity pro for profit. And that's just heartbreaking. When you put yourself in someone else's shoes and you think about it in a different way, if it's, you know, if it's not heartbreaking enough already what's happening, I just think that that's just so tragic and heartbreaking. Auntie Rose, um, especially, her, her mother was yeah. a wildlife carer. So uh, she grew up yep. caring for the kangaroo. Uh, as well as being a clan totem, she has a personal interest in these animals. My favourite line from her statement to the Senate was, I will not be silent and I will not be silenced. 
the Animal Lib volunteers have always been there supporting kangaroos over the, in the early 80s. Uh, submissions were put in to counter the push for the commercial killing of Victoria's kangaroos. Animal Lib were there putting in submissions when uh, a campaign to stop the shooting in Hadakukai National Park in 1990, where three protesters went in to stop the shooting and two of those were members of Animal Lib Victoria. So it isn't like Animal Lib hasn't being involved with the kangaroo industry, but any renewed push is desperately needed at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've been around for a long time, that's for sure. What we've sort of done is collated a lot of information from groups like the Victorian Kangaroo Alliance, and there's a few others on there as well, just to bring all this information together so we can show people maybe dispelling some of the myths that people might have about the kangaroo industry. Because I know for myself, even before I started doing this research, there was a lot of things that I just thought were true that, that weren't. And then you start to dig a little bit deeper and you kind of think, this is just, how, how have other people not been aware of this? Why, why does this industry even exist? One of the myths is that there is an abundance of kangaroos who are damaging the environment, a native animal damaging the environment. Um, it's kind of crazy to even think about. And I suppose farmers would like to like the public to see them as pests who need to be managed, which is so untrue because they're a native animal. They don't need to be managed. And it's more that in effect that the animal agriculture industry doesn't want them competing with farmed animals on grazing land. So it's the overgrazing of sheep and cattle that's causing the environmental degradation. It's not the kangaroos. They only do good for the soil. Exactly. I think one of the greatest myths is this competition against domestic stock. CSIRO, Greg, a whole bunch of sources point out that under normal conditions, kangaroos do not compete for feed with sheep. And under normal conditions, very little competition with cattle. Kangaroos actually improve the soil. Yeah, they do. They aerate the soil. They don't chew the grass. They don't pull it from the roots. They're like eat the tops of it. They actually create environments for biodiversity. All the arguments are ridiculous. They destroy fences, yeah. they eat crops, they drown dogs in dams. That's that's the one that really gets me angry. Mm. Basically, all a kangaroo can do is grab hold of whatever is attacking it and kick at it. It's an isolated incident that, yeah. you know, it just seems to, for some reason, make people think that, oh, all kangaroos are bad and they're going to drag me to a dam and kill me like they did to that dog but it's just it's so it's such an isolated incident it's just not gonna happen <laughs> crazy how these myths come about well it is and surprising even in the 21st century so many people still believe that kangaroos are farmed yeah it's crazy isn't it i mean there is no way that we can farm kangaroos and why would we anyway i mean that kind of brings me to to our next myth is that some people might also have the belief that because they're not farmed, they're free range. So it's more natural and maybe it's more humane, quote unquote. I mean, there's never a humane way to kill someone who wants to live in the first place. And the government's national code of practice for the humane shooting of kangaroos and wallabies for commercial purposes considers it humane to chop the heads off an unfair joey in the mother's pouch and to kill the fully fur joeys, they recommend like a sharp blow to the head. And I don't know anyone who could seriously think that that is humane, but this is the code of practice. 
And it also states that the shooters must aim to hit the kangaroo in the head. And as I said, like, this is happening at night in the dark. How can anyone, even with the intention to do that, because we, we don't really know what's going on with these shooters. No one's there, you know, overnight. Very unregulated industry. So even if you're trying to do it properly, chances are that there's just human error. You're not going to be able to make that humane kill. So it's it's definitely not a humane way to do it. It's just... It's disgusting. Violence and cruelty, that is the basis Mm -hmm. of the industry. There seems to be something a little bit more sick about inflicting it on native wild animals, especially uh, something as wonderful as a kangaroo. Yeah, and the fact that a kangaroo is like our Australia's icon, like it's in the coat of arms, I don't really understand how people can kind of be okay with it in any way. And whether they think that maybe, oh, well, Indigenous Australians live with the kangaroo and they ate them, so it's okay for us to do. I don't know if that's the mentality of of some people's thinking. It probably is for some. But to me, it's just so wrong. Auntie Mm -hmm. Roe has a good response to that, that not all Aboriginals ate kangaroo, just as not all white people wear blue socks. Exactly. (laughs) In Victoria, massive expansion in killing. The areas where the industry's really been working for a couple of years, we're seeing the populations absolutely crash. I believe that shooters are soliciting on Facebook. They're doing door knocking, trying to get people to allow them on their land to shoot more kangaroos because they're so desperately trying to, I guess, keep the industry alive. And their government saying that there's plenty of kangaroos, but you know, we can see the reality is anything but. Oh, you've only got to look at the returns from t- talking Australia-wide, where interstate there's been a commercial mm. industry for pet food, for leather and human consumption. Each year they're asking for a larger quota, but the last figures in showed they shot 15% of the quota. They cannot find the kangaroos mm. to shoot. That's why they had to expand into Victoria. Exactly. Let's not beat around the bush. Animal liberation, we're going to have some people... Probably not people listening to this actual radio program, but some people would say, oh, of course you're pushing a vegan or vegetarian agenda. I would just like to dispel that completely. (laughs) Sure, that's a part of it. You know, friends, not food. Love all animals. Be kind. Be humane. There's nothing wrong with empathy. But Mm -hmm. if someone listens to this program and thinks, if Animal Lib is getting behind the kangaroos, I'd like to support Animal Lib. You guys welcome anyone, don't you? Of course. So we welcome anyone. We just want to get our message out there, whether it's our message about the kangaroos, about pigs, cows, whatever it is. We welcome anyone. Our website has a lot of great information, resources. Uh, we, we just we want to put it out there. We want to share with you what we know so that then you can look at that and then make a decision for yourself on how you want to respond to that. I think a lot of people do realise that Animal Lib have been, uh, well... They were one of the original members of the Coalition Against Duck Shooting and that the Coalition grew out of Animal Lib Victoria and the duck campaign has been a credit to all the volunteers involved and many of those volunteers are members of Animal Liberation. So congratulations on what's been achieved so far. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm so honoured to be a part of Animal Liberation Victoria. I've, like, I've only been volunteering for six years I think and which is nothing in in terms of how big 
<laughs> how long our organization has been going for. Um, and yeah, now I'm lucky enough to, to work for them as well. So I couldn't be happier. And all it does is just make me more determined to fight for animals. I know you've done your homework. Now, the campaign, is it going to be primarily addressing Victoria's situation or the overall Australian situation with kangaroos? So there is probably a little bit more on Victoria in there. Um, thanks to the Victorian Kangaroo Alliance, uh, we've used some of their information. Uh, we've sourced some stuff from them. So there is a little bit maybe more emphasis, but in general, we've tried to make it just more about the kangaroo itself, Australia-wide, because um, we care about all kangaroos and we want it to be kind of relevant to en anyone who's looking from any state, if that makes sense. Oh, it certainly does. I mean, yeah. uh, interstate animal liberation, I've spoken with AL in Canberra regarding the conservation colour kangaroos there. We've spoke with Sydney's mm -hmm. Animal Liberation about their Nike protests. that They run in conjunction with the global event. So animal liberation right around Australia is very active. And I'm, yeah, for sure. as I said, I'm just so pleased to see, uh, well, the relaunching of a kangaroo campaign. And I think it's very important to cover all issues. Otherwise, you get bogged down on, on the human consumption side, the pet food consumption exactly. side, the leather trade. You've got to look at the whole picture because mm. it is just horrific. And there are so many intricacies in these industries. So it is kind of hard sometimes to choose which areas to target. When Alyssa Wormald contacted us about um, the kangaroo issue, I just thought that it was an important thing that if we can get some leverage behind it, it actually might be something that we can achieve, bring an end to. So uh, like anything that we can do, you know, is, has got to be helpful in some way. Nematodes, toxoplasmosis, mm -hmm. E. coli, salmonella. I don't know why anyone would ever eat this stuff. And oh, look, I love the animal dearly, but there's no way you could pay me to eat kangaroo. Yeah. Oh, no, it's disgusting, isn't it? it, oh. it it's, as you said, it's the narrative that we've been fed. They're yeah, in plague proportions. Right. It's not. It's all about money. That's all it's about. Yeah, and it's. I guess it's designed to make people who are wanting to buy it and eat it sort of feel good about it, like, oh, I'm doing something good for the environment. Like, it's good. They're free range. They're out in the wild. Like, it's just this this idea that we've, some people have got going on in their heads that it's that it's all good and it's better for the environment when it's just anything but. I mean, if we lose our kangaroos, our native animals, I mean, that would just cause so much stress. I had a message from a, a guy during the week on that issue, and he's very much an environmentalist uh, who considers that the killing of kangaroos is a good option if we all ate kangaroo meat, we could wipe all the sheep and cattle off the Australian environment and improve the environment. Now, we've wow. been shooting kangaroos for over 50 years for a commercial industry, and I don't think in that time all those millions of dead kangaroos has removed one head of sheep or cattle from the commercial you know, business. No. It, it's a pipe dream. It's not a reality. Yeah, no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> but that's the problem. People, I've got no problems with environmentalists. It might sound like I did. No. Mm, um, no. And we've all got to consider the whole environment because we're a part of it. Yeah, exactly. But do it with some empathy and some consideration and for God's sake, a few, use a few brain cells occasionally. Yeah, it's, Lisa, it's crazy. And there's so many stories like that 
Yeah. Uh, look, you must get them all the time. You know, people come up and say, oh, yeah, I don't like them killing kangaroos, but, oh, look, the meat's healthy to eat. No, yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> oh, it's humanely killed. No, it's yeah, not. There's, there's always some excuse, isn't there? Uh, Nike really needs those football boots to be made out of quality leather. No, they don't. No, they do not. Uh, there's always something else that you could use. Like, we're it's the 21st century, you know, there's plenty of materials that don't involve animals in any way, so why not use them? It's just there's no excuse. When is this campaign beginning? So we're releasing our website on the... 11th of August, so tomorrow, Thursday the 11th of August. Works out perfectly because this program will go to air on the evening of the Thursday. Uh, fantastic stuff. And is it a dedica- is going to be a part of the uh, ALV website or a separate website? Yeah, so it's on the ALV website. Um, we'll be sharing it on our social media, so on Instagram and Facebook. So just keep an eye out there and it will just send, send a link straight to the straight to the campaign webpage. Look, every little bit helps in a respectable mm-hmm. organisation, or I should say a respected organisation like Animal Liberation Victoria, deserves to be involved and, and to get any credit for any benefit that is gained from it because together we can do lots. We can achieve anything. Exactly. Before we go, uh, do you have any comments for our listeners? Is there anything, a message you'd like to leave them with? I just, I just like people to remember to always do your own research, whether it's on kangaroos or anything that somebody might have told you about, oh, this is a humane industry. Well, yeah, take it with a grain of salt and do your own research on it because oftentimes you'll find that there's a lot more to it and then you can learn and you can grow and change and then you can share that information with others. So, yes, that would be my only advice. Do your own research. Don't just listen to what other people say. Lisa, my favourite quote is 92.3% of all statistics are made up. And <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, there's an awful lot of that type of thing going on when you're trying to research specific information on animals. Publications on the kangaroo industry that should be looked at. There is yeah. just too much rubbish out there. There is. We have a section, we will have a section on our campaign down the bottom um, of ways that you can help. So we've listed a few things there to kind of get people going with research and things. Fantastic stuff. Can we be in contact with you again in uh, a month or two's time and see how it's going and see what feedback you got? Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. And in the meantime, anything to do with wildlife, the animal liberation want to get out there, you have time on this program anytime. Thank you so much, Rob. Really appreciate it. Thank you for speaking with us. Thank you so much, Elisa. That was Elisa's first interview. She did remarkably well. And congratulations for the members of Animal Liberation for joining campaign against the cruelty that's been inflicted upon our Australian kangaroos. And a big shout out to the wonderful Paddy Mark. Paddy actually started Animal Liberation here in Victoria. Oh, I don't want to say how many years ago because some people are just eternally young. 
Animal Liberation Victoria. Go to the website. Go to alv.org.au forward slash kangaroos. If you have problems with that, just type in Animal Liberation Victoria and go to the links on the kangaroo campaign. Alicia, you did really, really well. Congratulations. I think that's not the first interview we will do on that subject. Animal Liberation Victoria, alv.org.au forward slash kangaroos. Head there at the end of this program. Not now. And I'll tell you why not now. It's perhaps the most harrowing story I've had to do on this program so far. Imagine this. You're sitting at home. It's late at night, approaching midnight. It's been a long day. You've taken care of the family. You're sitting back watching a movie or something on TV, relaxing, thinking it's about time to go to bed. And over your back fence, the shooting starts. The kangaroo killing industry has come to your backyard. This is an interview with Sarah, and I really felt that this needed to be put to air. Please listen to Sarah. She experienced something I imagine she'd never thought would be a part of her life. The commercial killing industry came to her backyard. She sought help. Mm. The authorities are confused. They don't know what it's all about. The sooner we stop this horrific industry here in Victoria, the better. Here we go. Please sit back, relax, and listen to Sarah telling her story. So basically when I was uh, watching TV one night, I could hear gunshots over the TV. I live in a residential suburban area, but we back up onto a farmland area, which is lovely because we look over the farm every day and we can see the kangaroos and it's beautiful. When I heard the gunshots, I started to worry that mm, maybe it's not foxes being shot, which I've often tried to convince myself that that's what's happening when I hear those gunshots because it's not the first time. This time it was a lot closer than normal so I went to the window and I picked up the binoculars that we use to watch our kangaroos because we love seeing them and we, we watch everything that they do. It's part of our daily life. And when I, sorry, when I looked out the window, I could see the trucks manoeuvring around with lights around the trucks in the dark. It was a very cold night and it was a very dark night. When I looked through binoculars, I could see kangaroos hanging off the back of the truck, in the middle of the truck and on the outside of the truck. And what I could see was a man leaning over a kangaroo and he was cutting her legs off. She still moved when he was hanging her onto the truck. I find that so traumatic to see that because we love them so much, but also in it's just so barbaric and so inhumane. They're so detached from doing this in a humane way, in a controlled way. That should never happen to any animal, it, especially one that is supposed to be heavily regulated. 
There is no regulation because it takes place out of office hours in the dark. Uh, in the past, it's always been in isolated areas. But without giving your position exactly away, as you said, it's an estate that backs onto existing farmland. But I noticed that also on the edge, uh, that farmland is bordered by a, an historical park, a children's playground, uh, there's a recreation reserve and a conference centre of some type. It's hardly out in the bush, is it? No, no, absolutely not. Whilst we have that nice parkland nearby, it's, there's a lot of housing that's been developed and we've been here for many years now. And like you said, there's playgrounds, there's daycare centres, there's a lot that's close by. We're just all back up onto this farmland area where this shooting was happening. And the shooting, I can tell you, factually, was happening at about 150 metres to 200 metres from our fence line because once you go over 220-odd metres, you can't see over there because it's a dip in the, in the land. It's a hill. So my my line of sight doesn't reach anywhere further than about 230 metres. Now, the regulations state they can't shoot within 200 metres of private property. So yeah. obviously yeah. they were in breach of that regulation to begin with. I wasn't sure if it was 250 metres or 200, but I knew it was very close where they were shooting. It's a dirty business. It's not pretty. It's not warranted. But I can imagine if your family were involved with these kangaroos, you watched them, no doubt you moved to the, that area because of the country vista and the native wildlife that it contains, to have a commercial industry just come in and be so cruel to these wonderful little creatures. It, it must be of great concern. Did you ring the police about it at all? Yeah, 100%. I rang, it was about midnight that I rang the police and I was clearly upset over the phone, but I rang the police no sirens because at the time I wasn't insure, I wasn't sure if there was a breach of law. It obviously is a breach of a humane in, inhumane practice, but um, I wasn't sure if they were allowed to shoot that close. I presumed not. When I spoke to my husband, I woke him, and he said no. He's done his firearm licence because we want to be able to put animals down if we see them on the side of the road or something like that if, if they need to be done. But that's for the, um, that purpose. But So when I woke him, he said that he felt that it needed to be much further than that. So I rang the police, no sirens. They actually put me through to triple zero straight away because they, they felt that that was not lawful what was happening and it was happening at that time. I was transferred through to triple zero and they said they were going to dispatch somebody out immediately. That was not what happened on the night from my now conversations with the police. My conversations with the police have found that they didn't directly say this, but what I've established was they attended at 7.30 earlier because somebody else had reported the shooting. They established that the person had the harvesting licence and the shooting licence and then decided that that was okay and went ahead with the day. When I rang in at midnight, from what I can understand, it determined that there was no need to attend, so they did not attend and did not attend to the fact that they were shooting close to the property because they've decided that they were already licensed and that was enough. There was no guarantee it was the same people shooting. 100%. Did you have any follow-up contact with police over this issue? Yeah, I had two different officers contacting me. 
one was excellent and very diligent and the other one was more in favour of the shooters, I felt. I left the conversation feeling like she made it clear to me that she was a shooter herself and she had determined on the night that it would have been the same shooters and therefore I guess that they didn't attend on the second one because if they had have actually attended to my call because they were there for many hours operating just past our window here, if they had attended, they would have seen that they were unlawful in their act at that time of night and factually would have probably had to have their licence taken off them. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. How do you explain that to the kids, you know? And I imagine the the neighbours appreciate the animals as well. Mm. I just don't know how you cope with that. And You did everything right. You did everything you could do. All you can do is contact the police. One thing I didn't do was get evidence. I presume the, uh, that the police were going to gather that evidence themselves, so I made a mistake. Uh, I needed to film that myself, and next time it happens, I will be gathering the neighbours and we will be witness to what's happening. I will take video footage, I'll take photos, and I urge anyone that sees this happening to do exactly the same. Get as many witnesses as you can, get as many photos as you can, get the video footage because that is the only way that you'll make these people accountable for what they're doing. And if they're in breach, you've got the evidence then to stick it to them. 100% correct. That gives you the power to then follow up and get something done. Of course, the first thing the police ask for is any photographic evidence. Did you have a chance to go out and examine the area where they were shooting? One of my personal concerns is that after the shooters go through, we have problems with in-pouch and ex-pouch joeys being left at the scene. What did the scene look like the next day? Did you go and have a look? So I contacted the Victorian Kangaroo Alliance. I wanted to speak to others, experts in the, in the field, and they reached out and had some rescuers attend the site the next day. And they went out onto the field and I came with them because I needed to assist them as to where I could see it all happening. And we went directly to the spot where I could see it happening the most. And we found a kangaroo head in that area, which was at 230 metres from my fence line, which you actually could barely see that part. So it meant that they were actually operating and shooting closer than that for the most part because it was just over the dip of the hill. So literally, yeah, you, you couldn't see that area very easily. So they were obviously much closer when they were shooting when I was watching through the window. It was determined the police that was dragged by a fox through a river. There's a little waterway that goes down through the dips of the hills. Um, So over 250 metres, which the police told me was where they had been shooting, was over onto the next set of hills. So for that kangaroo head to have been in this property and to that vicinity, needed to come through a water river needed to go over a bluestone fence, through a wire fence, and then up the hill another 20, 30 metres. Those foxes are cunning, aren't they? Mm, they're crafty. Mm. Look, as I said, I'm just sorry you went through this. Uh, I mean, when you moved into your area, you never expected that a commercial killing industry would take place over your back fence. No, I know it happens, so, which is upsetting. But to witness it and know about it is different. To even see a video or a photo is different to watching it happening at that time because you want it to happen. You want it to stop straight away. 
you don't every every moment in that time you're thinking another roo is dying at every couple of minutes and the way that they were having their heads bashed in in front of me while I was watching there were no second shots so there was no humane you can't always kill an animal in one shot from the darkness and the distance so I know those animals were still suffering when they finished them so I watched them with the end of the bolt cutters smash their heads in. I watched them cut their legs off and hang them still moving. To see that is so traumatising when you love them. And to know that the government allowed that to happen and for it to not be so heavily regulated like they promised the community. I think so many people in the community think that it's regulated and it's safe and there's too many kangaroos and it's a necess necessity, but it's not. If you do your research, we're not overpopulated. This was just one small mob that was living over this fence line and they're now gone, by the way. There's only a few young ones left and they'll probably move on to go on with another mob. They're now gone. It's not okay that that is happening and it's so much more confronting when you see it happening like that it's traumatizing and i can't stop thinking about what i saw the good thing sarah and i personally thank you is speaking out about it it's already created a guide for people faced with this situation the victorian kangaroo alliance has put out a um, a guide for people some help in dealing with this situation when it occurs and I know in our region here up until now we haven't had the commercial killing of kangaroos for the pet mm. food industry but we've got someone who's advocating it and stirring up a whole bunch of rubbish about plagues of kangaroos and destroying crops and all the rest of the stuff they all need to be controlled it's not true and as you stated regardless of that it's it's rather a dirty inhumane industry it's all for profit. So when something's for profit, people are always going to find a reason to back the numbers, yeah. to falsify information, to make it a worthy cause, to make it okay. They've made this process so incredibly complicated with licensing and laws. Even the police, when I speak to them, they're not even 100% sure about what is allowed to happen and what's not allowed to happen. They have different sets of licensing laws and that they're allowed to hunt under, whether it's a harvesting licence or an ATCW, I think that was the other licence. The police, when I spoke to one of them, she was so diligent and she followed up everything she possibly could. And she said when I'd emailed through to them, she found it very hard to read my email and was incredibly upset by what I had described in that email. And she actually offered me assistance to, to receive counselling because she said from what I saw was so traumatic she imagined that I would need some kind of counselling which was lovely of her. Sarah it's hard for you to go over this again I won't keep you any longer I do thank you for one reporting the incident and two, going that step further and wanting to give out some information so the rest of the community out there will know exactly what happens when these shooters come to town. Sarah, thank you so much. No problem. And I just want to thank some of the MPs that have been in contact with me as well because it really has stirred up some emotions with different members and they've all been trying to work 
within the information given to try and help us move forward and change the laws. So any medic has been wonderful, as, as a notable mention. So there are people out there trying to make a change. And as I always joke, barely a program goes to air without Andy Medic being mentioned at least <laughs> once. I actually feel guilty asking Sarah to relive the horror of that night. For more information, hit up the Victorian Kangaroo Alliance. The website is vickangas.org. Just type that in, you'll find it. When uh, people living in their lovely suburban homes that they've fought so hard to afford and enjoy the fact that over their back fence they have our Australian wildlife there every day. Her family had binoculars sit, uh, sitting there at the window so they could observe the little family group that inhabited the paddocks over their back fence. That was until the shooters turned up. We've got to stop this. Please contact your local member and and tell them this is not what we signed up for. Victorian Kangaroo Alliance, vickangas.org. I was going to interview the lovely Alyssa from VKA, but unfortunately she decided to spend the night in the emergency ward. I hope the foot is healing well. It seems like uh, broken bones is common. Won't go into that now, but there's a few rescuers and campaigners, activists out there that are hobbling around in plaster at the moment. Best wishes to all of you. Okay, that's it. I've had my say. Please listen, please act. Save our kangaroos. My name's Rob Armstrong. This is the wildlife.